This morning's scripture reading will come from John chapter 16, verse 33. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I believe a, uh, a couple of years ago, maybe last year, maybe the year before, I crossed a, a threshold um, that made me kind of fully realize, like, yep, I think I'm finally an adult now. Now, you have those moments, or you've had those moments before, um, where something happened to you, or you experienced something that you said, yeah, okay, that, I'm not in college anymore. Uh, the first set of bills, you know, said, nope, okay, that's, that's real. Um, the first conversation I had that I knew what I was talking about when it comes to like retirement accounts, I said, okay, that's real too. And then maybe it was a couple years ago, uh, I, it, was, it was around this time of year, December, and I can't remember if it was uh, a sister of mine uh, or one of maybe Hannah's parents asked me, they just kind of caught me off guard and said, Jay, what do you want for Christmas? And instantly, my mind without thinking went directly to the very thing I wanted more than anything else socks. And I said, you know what, that's it. I, I think I'm an adult now. I, I, that shows what, where my priorities are and what my needs are at this moment. And, I, and this year, um, that's what I'm hoping to get again, okay? Because I don't know what happens between Decembers, but the dryer eats them all, or my dog does, and I'm, here I am again. This idea of things that we want versus things that we need is something that's been on my mind a lot here lately. Uh, maybe, maybe the same thing with you, as you've made Christmas lists, or have you, maybe you've looked over them um, only once, right? Uh, maybe you've looked over lists, or you've asked somebody else, you know, what are you wanting for Christmas? And sometimes you get things back that are obviously things that, you know, kids or somebody, they just want that. That's not going to be extremely beneficial to them, but they just want that. And other times you hear of something that is maybe a want and a need, or something that maybe only falls in that category of a need. And so with my socks uh, uh, illustration, I thought about that was maybe a, port, a point in my life where my Christmas lift transi transition excuse me, from a lot of wants to maybe a few more needs. And it's interesting to note that. As we grow and as we mature, the things that we want, the things that we desire to have, I should say, they go back and forth between wants and needs. I remember last year, um, I got my father-in-law a shredder for Christmas. And I got the very kind he wanted, and I don't think I've ever seen someone more happy to get a household appliance like that, ever. And I think that was genuine. He wasn't just being nice, like, oh, thanks, Jay, I got a shredder. He was genuinely excited that he got the one shredder that he wanted. And it's, it's just fun for me to think about that. And so this past weekend, Kyle asked me to, to preach this, this morning. I was excited about that. This is what's been on my mind. Things that we want versus things that we need. And so I, I just want to ask us one question this morning. When it comes to our relationship with God, having a drawing near to Him, having a relationship with our Father God, is that something, as we reflect back in 2019, as we look what it's like today, is that something that we want? Or is the desire, the level of the desire that we want to have, that we desire to have that, is that more of a want, or is it actually a need? 
Because there's, a dif- there's an obviously, there's, there's a difference between the two things. As we look at our kids' Christmas list, we see, okay, that toy is a want, maybe that's a need. You know, this is that and this is that. But when it comes to our relationship with God and how we treat drawing near to Him, when we wake up in the morning, is that something that we were wanting? Or is that something our soul is reflecting as a true need of ours in that day? As we go through the day, the need of food hits me pretty early, right? That, that is a need that it's not waiting until 12 o'clock to remind me, Jay, you need to eat. That's not waiting barely, you know, before I get to work here. But when it comes to my relationship with God and how I treat that, are the actions and the time I'm putting into drawing near to Him, is that reflected more? Is that I just want to have a good relationship with Him? Or is the level of commitment and passion that I put into that, does that reflect a, my soul needs it and I'll do whatever it takes to have it? Because there's a difference. Merriam-Webster defines want as a strong desire to have something while a need is a, a lack of a, a, a essential substance. Something that we can't properly function without in some aspect. And so this morning, I want you to ask yourself, is your relationship with God just something that you strongly desire and that you're willing to pursue to a certain degree? Or is your relationship with God something that you just can't go without? And how does your life reflect that? What we're going to start at this morning is in Luke chapter 9. If you don't mind flipping over to Luke chapter 9, we're going to read verses 57 through 62. 57 through 62. Here we're going to find Christ outlining what it means to really want or need to follow him. Let's pick up in verse 57, Luke chapter 9. And as they were going along the road, Jesus and his disciples, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to go bury, to bury their own dead. But as you go, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another, another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What we have here in this small passage is these three interactions with Christ and these three kind of random men that either he approaches or approaches him and question following him to some degree. And how he responds to them shows a level of commitment that he's expecting of his followers. Now, all three of the men express a want. They all they either they either described him first and foremost as Lord or came out and say, Lord, Lord, I want to follow you. I will follow you wherever you go, wherever you go. So we know first and foremost that they wanted to follow Jesus. But as we see in the responses and as we see in some of their comments, we're led to believe that even though they wanted to follow him, it wasn't a true need because it took too much. As in each and every one of them possibly turned away and walk sorrowfully like the rich young ruler did when he found out what it took to follow Jesus, we now see a true difference of those who want to follow him, but then when they're put into a position where it, trans- it transitions from a want to a need, 
they're not willing to really stay in the game anymore and they kind of bow out a little bit. So as we seek to, to answer in our own life, is your relationship with God a want or a need? Is your, does your life reflect that? How we're going to assess our, our want versus need of Him is what are we willing to do to follow Him? Because a, a need, how we, how we see the difference, a want versus a need is something we can define the difference by how much we desire to have it in the first place. We can define the difference by how much it will benefit us when we receive it. And we can define the difference between a want and a need and how much we are willing to sacrifice in order to gain it. And if we see God in the latter of all those comments, then He truly is a need in our life. And if I'm willing to go and do whatever it takes to follow Him, then that shows that I need Him. But if, if at certain moments, at certain requirements that Christ puts on my life, if I turn around with the rich young ruler or the men in this passage and, and walk away, then my relationship with God is more of a want. And something I'm willing to kind of say, maybe not right now, maybe next year. And I'm willing to walk away from that. So let's look back at a few of these examples and look more at what maybe Jesus is saying when it comes to how so how do, we follow, how do we know if our relationship with God is a want and need? Let's test how much we're willing to go through to uh, truly to follow him. Let's start with verse 57 again. And as, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And, he, and Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This opening statement is, is great. When we hear this man proclaim, I will follow you wherever you go, that's a great statement of faith. This is beginning to, to sound like this man is willing to do whatever it takes to go wherever, it, wherever Jesus follows, where, you know, wherever he leads, I will follow type sentiment here. But then Jesus says, okay, if you're willing to go wherever it takes, if you're, going, if you're willing to follow me wherever, well, how about here? How about the fact that I have no place of rest, I have no place a solace. I have no home to, no bed to lay down in. If you're willing to follow me everywhere, does that, does that include this spot right here? Because following me does not, does not include, crosses, following me does not include going from town to town, staying in nice rooms, eating good meals, and spending time with great people just left and right. He said, following me will lead you to uncomfortable areas. And are you willing to go, if you're willing to go wherever, are you willing to go to uncomfortable areas with me? We see this in Exodus chapter 12. If you flip over to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to look at a few comments or a few moments in the, in the kind of the birth of the nation of Israel and their relationship with God. It starts out so good here. After Israel, after Israel finally has trusted in Moses here. They, they recognize that Moses is a man sent from God and they're willing to trust him. And they're, and they're wanting, they are desiring to leave Egypt. They have been oppressed in this land for decades and generations at this point. So they, it's a want. They are ready to leave Egypt. And we see that in how far they're willing to go. I'm going to read a few passages. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 28. And the sons of Israel went and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Look at verse 35. 
Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And lastly, verse 50, And all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. What we have here, is there in Egypt? Moses, God speaking through Moses is telling Israel what to do, and it's one of those, you know, jump, and they say, how high? They are on point with following every command God has given them. Okay, we're about to leave. Make sure you're ready here. Okay, we're about to leave. Make sure you've got that, and, they're, and, they're, and they've got it. They're doing just as Moses had said. They're following every word that God has commanded them. They are willing to, to follow where God is leading them to. They can't wait to get to this promised land. They can't wait to get out from under this oppression. They're willing to go wherever God leads them. That is, until that place grows a little uncomfortable. Let's flip over to chapter 14. Let's read verses 10 through 12. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching right after them. And they became very frightened, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, then they said to Moses, is it, better there, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And they express this moment, they, they express this thought here. And then after God saves them in chapter 15, in chapter 16, when they're thirsty, they express, why did you lead us out here in this uncomfortable spot to die? And when they get hungry, why did you lead us out here in this uncomfortable place to die? And when they get tired of manna, why did you lead? And they just keep whining. They keep crying over and over again. I don't have a child, okay? Y'all know that. So I don't, I don't understand, you know, the, the full responsibility of maybe a child who's whining and constantly, you know, going after your attention. But I do have a dog, Okay? And he's got a little hound in him, and uh, he whines constantly. And he's very, I'm not, I really need to move on already, I know. But he is so vocal. If you do not get that ball right now, if you do not give me this treat, if you don't open this door for me right now, it's a constant, it just does not stop over and over. And I wonder if God at some moment is just hearing the, the complaints and the whining of his, chi his children and going, enough is enough. These are the same people complaining about, what are we going to do, Lord? The, 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 Israelite, the Egyptians are about to kill us. These are the exact same people who just saw the ten plagues. The ten plagues changed Pharaoh's heart, did it not? But somehow now it's hardened the, the Israelites' hearts to the moment where those who used to trust in God just moments before, now because of where God has led them, a place of discomfort, they're willing to drop it and run off. They're quick to say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, but if it gets uncomfortable, I'm going to bow out. I want to go back home. Now compare that to Numbers chapter 13 and 14 when the 12 spies go out. We're not going to read a passage from there. We're going to do a quick paraphrase. As we know, the 12 spies, and they go out and they look at the promised land. And they go back, and, and 10 out of the 12 say, it's great. Man, it would be a great area to live in, but we, it's just too bad we can't go there. The people are too big, and there's too many of them. But Caleb and Joshua say, no, 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 no. And they, go, and they try over and over again to persuade the Israelites and Moses and the leaders, 
We've got to go. God has already given us possession of the land. And look at how the Israelites in, in Exodus chapter 13 and 14 and Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 13 and 14, they were led, the Israelites were led from a terrible place to a very temporary spot of discomfort. And they were willing already to, to just jump out and say, you know, I'm done. I, I don't want any part of this. I want to go back to Egypt. While Joshua and Caleb, even though they knew where God was leading them, to a promised land that was going to also involve a lot of conflict, war, people were going to lose their lives, but at the end of the day they were going to win. They knew exactly where God was going to lead them, and that was going to be a place of discomfort for a little while, but it was worth it. Israel and Exodus, they wanted a relationship with God. They didn't need it. They had the Egyptians. They had, they had bread and butter and whatever they wanted back at home. They wanted it, but they didn't need it. Joshua and Caleb in Numbers chapter 13, they recognized the difference between wanting to be in the promised land and needing to be near God where he is. The first point today in whether you want a relationship with God, a close relationship with God today, and whether, or, or if you need one, is are you willing to follow wherever that, that faith takes you? Are you willing to follow wherever Christ goes? Are you willing to be a disciple where your life takes you? Lord, I will go wherever you take me. I will go to a different country. I will go to uh, you know, a less fortunate home. I will go to this place over here. I will go help these people in need over there. But don't ask me to go to the workplace. Lord, I, I know I need, I will follow you across the continent. But I'm a little uncomfortable following you right now in my household. Lord, I will follow you to the inner parts of the city to help those in need, but Lord, please don't ask me to follow you to where my friends are gathering right now because I can't be a disciple in that spot because that's uncomfortable. How far are we willing to follow Christ in our pursuit of being close to Him? Second, let's look back into our passage in Luke chapter 9. Let's read 59 and 60. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit the first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Let me advance this real quick. We must be willing to go wherever Christ calls us, but we also must be willing to go whenever he calls us. Of all the excuses... You hear people saying, I can't follow you right now, Christ. This is one of the ones I was like, man, that seems a little rough. That seems a little harsh for Christ to say, listen, let the other people bury the dead. This guy might have a, a genuine you know, excuse to say, Lord, I want to follow you, but give me just a little bit. I'll be right back. I don't need to go bury my father. But another interpretation of this, another way of seeing this, another way that this man could have been meaning this is, I'm not ready to follow you yet, Lord. My father, he's not dead but I need to be with him. Let me finish out, let me be with him until his life is over. And then, when I don't have the res this responsibility on me, and then when this part of my life is done, then I will follow you. Either way, the man is speaking here. Christ is responding to him in, in a moment of urgency. The time to, to follow me is now. It's not tomorrow, because that day just keeps getting put off. 
priorities are seen in the now. The things that we put off are not on the top of our list. And if we prioritize Christ and following Him as first and foremost in our life, then we achieve that today. We don't do it when the time's right. We don't do it when the time's easy. We do that now. And I think of Peter in Matthew chapter 26 when he's warming his hands over that fire and the servant girl's coming up to him saying, don't you know this man and Jesus is on a trial? Don't you know this man as well? I know I've seen you with him. And he denies, and he denies again. It, at all, for all, um, I think we all can agree here, that was not a good time to be a disciple of Jesus, right? Your, you know, your master, your teacher, the one who you're following is on trial to be crucified. It's not the, you know, you're not going to win any popularity contest at that moment to be being a disciple of Christ. It was not a good time for Peter to respond, yes, I know that man, I love him, I've spent three years with him, I follow him wherever he goes. It was not the right time when it comes to world standards, Right? But then we see a change in that. We know this change in Acts chapter 2. We see that same man who, when the time wasn't right, he was saying, okay, I think, you know, this is not a good time to confess my faith in Christ. I'm not going to do this. And he denies Christ three times. But that same man in Acts chapter 2, when an even larger crowd is standing before him, some of those who were the same people there who had shouted, crucify him, crucify some of the same group. The time is still not great, Right? And yet Peter is the one standing up and preaching on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. What changed? The time, being a Christian, and you know, he could have been that the next day. He didn't have to be the one that stood up at that very moment. He could have asked somebody else to do it. He could have gotten somebody else to do it. He could have put it off to a different... When next, next Pentecost, after... The, uh, the, after kind of all of this craziness, after everything kind of dies down now that Christ has been crucified, next year, next Pentecost, that's when I'll stand up. Or the next festival when everybody gathers, everything will be a little more calm, then I'll be, that'll be a better time. Then I'll be a disciple of Christ. He says, no, now is the time. So what changed? What changed from Matthew 26 to Acts chapter 2? He realized he needed Jesus. He's the one, when he realizes the tomb is empty, he runs. He's the one who's, when he's on the ship and he sees Jesus on the shore, he jumps and swims. He needs him. We run after and pursue unendingly the things that we need. And that's what changed. In Matthew chapter 26, he wanted Jesus. He wanted to be a follower. But when the time wasn't right, he was willing to, to kind of drop that. But in Acts chapter 2, he realized his soul needed him, and he could not let Jesus down again. And so he stepped up. So when is the time going to be right in our lives to fully commit? We're all guilty of putting it off till tomorrow, putting it off till tomorrow. My first car was a 1993 Ford Explorer. And it was awful. Oh, it was an awful car. It was an A-B car. You know, it barely got from point A to point B. And uh, the gas needle didn't work. When I, did, when I put gas in it, I had to do, okay, I got 15 miles per gallon. I put 3.7 gallons in. I can go this many miles before I'm out of gas again. Uh, I, I was missing a lot of the, uh, the siding of the door. The door panels is just metal. Uh, I just kept jackets in there for people when they got in. It's like, you know, just throw a jacket on. I don't have heat. It was a terrible car. 
and I had an engine light come on one time, surprise, took it to the shop and said, it's a computer sensor, it's going to be a lot of money to fix it, just leave it on. 16-year-old Jason, okay, uh, great. But then about six months later, guess what happens? My, my car wouldn't crank. I'm stranded at school halfway across town and I can't get home because I didn't know to what, what that light was saying. Six months ago, this emergency light was saying, okay, hey, you need to check this out. And the guy checked it out and said, oh, it's just a computer. But in that time frame when I thought, oh, everything's fine, to that point when everything wasn't fine, other things had gone wrong. And I had just kept putting it off. Well, I'll get, the, I'll, you know, I'll get it checked out again tomorrow. I'll get this light checked in. I'll, I'll put the car in the shop tomorrow. When I have the money, when I have the time, when I, I'll, I'll be able to do this tomorrow. But tomorrow only happens, tomorrow only becomes today, sadly, when tragedy happens. And I was only willing to take the car into the shop when I couldn't crank it again. And it's so sad that some of us as Christians are only willing to fully commit to God when we're at the rock bottom of our lives. What if we listen to the light now? And so let's fix some stuff right now so we're running a lot better in the days ahead. We follow Christ wherever He goes, and we follow Christ whenever He calls. And then lastly, we look back at our Luke chapter 9 passage. Let's finish out in verse 61 through 62. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The last thing we must realize, if we're going to, to transition from a person who's wanting Christ to, to, wanting Christ to a person who's needing him and reflecting that in our actions, we must be willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. And think about the people in John chapter 6 in this. They had such a great start. In John chapter 6, he had just fed thousands and thousands of people. And they are staying up late at night, waking up early in the morning to listen to Jesus speak more and more. And they're eating it all up. He's performing miracles. He's healing sick. And one day they wake up and he's gone. And they realize that he has taken a boat and gone across shore. And they are willing at that moment... The, the crowd in John chapter 6, they're willing to wake up that early and follow wherever he went. We're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. We're going to make this journey by walking and by ferrying boats back and forth, ferrying thousands of people over. I'm willing to go wherever he is. And I'm willing to go right now. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I don't want to wait till I, I make sure he's over there. I want to go right now and find him. So they're willing to go wherever. They're willing to go uh, whenever. When they get there, Christ kind of calls them out. Flip over to John chapter 6. Christ calls them out because they, lack, they have a lack of... Their motive is wrong. Verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you for the Him. For on Him the Father God has set His heel. Christ calls them out. He said, you guys look like great disciples. You're willing to go and follow me. You're willing to wake up and leave instantly. But you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And what happens, starting in verse 35 through verse 40, Christ really starts laying it, kind of laying out who he is, really. He's not just performing great miracles. He's not just being a great moral example. He's saying, I am sent from heaven 
My Father sent me. I am the Son of God. I am the bread out of heaven. John chapter 6, verse 35 through 40. And he really takes it to the next level. And, and are these people willing to accept this truth? Are they willing to do whatever it takes to follow me, which includes believing in my message? And they're not. John chapter 6, verse 66. And many of the disciples turned away and did not follow him anymore. They weren't willing, they were, they were willing to travel a distance. They were willing to get up and travel at that right moment. But when it came to them going above and beyond and accepting some hard truths, things that were hard to wrap their minds around, things that went against what was easy for them, they were not willing to do whatever it took. And we can look at numerous examples in, in, in Scripture today of men who had the exact same problem who knew the blessings of God, who knew the treasure, the riches of, of His love, but were just not willing to do what it took to follow Him. And we have plenty of examples of men who were willing to do that. And I think about myself sometimes. I think about how, how I think about my Christian life. And how sometimes in my mind I'll start to complain, why does it why? As a Christian, why do, I have to ha why do I have to live up to this high of a standard? Why do, things, why do I have to do this? Why do I, I have to do that? Why is the Lord requiring me uh, this much out of me? Why does it have to be this hard to be a Christian in today's world? And I have thoughts like that at times. And I have these, these not breakdown moments, these moments that I just I feel the weight of the standard that God has called me up to answer. It called all of us up to answer. And then I think of a, of, of a similar group in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 32 through 40. And I think about what I have to do to meet the requirements of following Jesus. And I read this group, and I see what their requirements were when it came to what it took for them to follow God. And what more shall I say for time will fall, fail me if I, if, I, if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tor tortured, not accepting their release, so that, so that they might obtain a better re resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They, were, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. And I love this comment, men of whom the world will not, was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and all of these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had providing something, provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they will not be made perfect. Now think about the Christians, or those who were the people of God in the Old and New Testament. Now think about what was required of them at times 
to keep the faith. And then I look at what's required of me to keep the faith in my life. And I feel like I have no reason to complain. I'm honored that I get to bear the same name that some of these men and women did. That they saw their relationship with God such a, a need that they were willing to go wherever, whenever, and do whatever it took to stay close to Him. They would not renounce their faith. Those who recognize the need for Him won't question what's required. So this morning, as we conclude, when you look back at this past year, and your actions and what you did to follow Christ and what you did to keep a relationship with God up, did it reflect more of a want, something that you just really desired and you enjoyed some of the benefits of out, out of? Or does it reflect a true need that you had, to, you had to pursue no matter the cost, location, or the timing? Today, in this moment, we're going to offer an invitation and this is open for anyone. This is open for those who have no relationship with God, who are interested in following God, or interested in, in knowing His Son for the first time. It's a beautiful thing when a, when a lost soul understands the holes in which God fills in their lives. When they come in contact with God and realize, this is the thing I've been searching for. This is the need my soul has been longing to find. We'd love to help you find that. Or maybe you are part of the family of God. You know what God has done for you. You know the need that should, He should be in your life. But it's reflected more of a want here recently. And you've let that warning light go on for a little bit too long. And you just need some prayers of encouragement. And you need your family to be around you for any reason. This morning, if, if you have any need at all, I just ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.
Sister Raylene Upchurch has come forward uh, asking for a prayer of thanks. As you know, um, her family has been through a lot, and she's been strong, but one of the main reasons she's been strong is she's put God first. And she's put her faith in the people that are in this room, her family, her extended family, her Christian family. Uh, we know the Upchurch uh, have uh, been through a lot of struggles. And she's asking um, for prayers, and I'll write what, uh, read what she's written.